Nehemiah chapter 9, forward by faith because of God's faithfulness. You've, some, of, some of you have heard us talking maybe just in our home or uh, in fellowship time, and I, I probably have brought it up at some point during a message, but you're aware probably of some of, if you know us well at all, you're aware of some of the, of the uh, difficulties that we have on family movie night. You know, you're choosing, we're going to choose, okay, what are we going to do? And so Friday, we try to reserve Friday nights. It doesn't always happen, but we try to reserve Friday nights for family fun nights. So it may be, um, you know, doing hamburgers and then watching something on Netflix as a family, or it might be board games. It may be going out to try a new restaurant. It might be taking a hike. Uh, we, we try to do something with a family, so Friday, you know, uh, family fun night. But sometimes it's not so fun picking the movie, you know, because so, you have Jessica and the girls and what they, you know, think is, would be very interesting. You have different age uh, spans. But many, many times, just because of numbers and mathematics, uh, Michael and I kind of lose out on that choice. And so when the uh, Hallmark-type movies are suggested immediately, I, you know, I can know what Michael's thinking. And sometimes we'll go, oh, again? Do we have to watch this kind of movie? And then, you know, inevitably I'll wait for it to come and some, he'll say, Dad, can I go in the office and just like watch something else? Occasionally we'll let him do that if we've had, you know, too many hallmarks in a row. But we do try to stay together as a family, uh, even on, on, on family fun night. But if he does go in the office, then I know something he's going to pick. He's going to pick something with action. He's going to pick something that there's, there's stuff going on. Uh, Dude Perfect. Right? Anybody who's familiar with Dude Perfect? Only 50 million people in the country. So, uh, Dude Perfect. I, I've been introduced recently, and Michael really enjoys watching their video clips. And recently, uh, he was in in my office watching this, and I got pulled into it. These guys were shooting off big rockets. I mean, they were pretty sizable, and whoever got the rocket the highest was going to win a trip. To go to space. I mean, this is not, you know, this isn't small stuff. They're doing some really cool things. It's action. So Dude Perfect is one of his choices. How about uh, Kendall Gray? If you're into outdoors and maybe uh, 10 to 18 years old, you might, have, you might be familiar with Kendall Gray. He loves to, to hunt and fish. And recently, Mike, I walk in and Michael's watching a hunting trip that Kendall went to Wyoming. And Kendall's talking about all of his gear and sighting in the gun and killing stuff, you know, and that's, that's what is Michael's alley. And he walks out and it's, you know, Hallmark, oh, yes, yeah, okay, you know. And then, and then the, the, the bad thing happens about 10 minutes before the movie ends and then they get, you know, back together and then the kiss at the end and, and they're done. So all that to say, I'm thankful that we have a God of action, we give out action Bibles to kids, uh, and some of the, even the church has given out action Bibles. Why? Because God is a God of action. Yes, he's a God of love, so I'm not, don't take the illustration too far. So he, he likes love and, and certainly is the origin of that. But he's a God of action, and we see here in Nehemiah chapter 9 how God was so active with his people and even very faithful. So we begin here in, in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 9, God's faithfulness during the exodus. God's faithfulness during the Exodus. And the Exodus showed God's faithfulness during a time of distress. This wasn't, you know, they weren't on a mountaintop. This wasn't, uh, 
you know, a, a weekend retreat or a family camp where things were just great and being encouraged and hearing good music and fellowship with God's people. This was a time of distress. So look with me in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 9. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of this land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths, as a stone into mighty waters. I don't know if you, if you recognize this, those of you who are into English... You know, my wife and Emily and Anna and others, if you're into English and writing and all that, you, you caught some action verbs in that passage. So real quick, just you saw and heard and performed signs and wonders. You made a name for yourself. You divided the sea before them. You cast their pursuers into the depths. God doesn't just sit passively by and, and go, well, you know, I, I hope they can figure it out. I mean, imagine with me if the life of Joseph were put into, I know they have the animated movies and they've got some distorted, you know, uh, movies out there of the life of Joseph, but what if there was like an awesome non-animated movie made of the life of Joseph being sold by his brothers into slavery? Being caught up in a, in a, a scheme of, Potiphar's wife of trying to seduce him and, and then being treated so unjustly and thrown into, into prison and then interpreting dreams and then being raised to the second in command over all of Egypt and then at the end the culmination of his, of his family being restored and seeing his dad you know once again that's a God of action Joseph didn't see how all that was going to play out but it certainly was a God of action. Even as we look back specifically at the Exodus and what led up to that, think with me about the ten plagues. Sometimes we, if, if you grew up in church, if you, if you grew up in, you know, in Sunday school or whatever, and some did and some didn't, but if you, if you think through some of those things, you know, we, we learned about them maybe. But imagine living it. The water in the Nile River was turned to blood. You imagine going to Alatoona, uh, you know, Lake, going to Red Top Mountain State Park this afternoon, and Logan gets his fishing rod, and he, he casts it out, and maybe Clay likes fishing too, and so they're starting to fish, and then they look back, and all of a sudden it's like it's all blood, it's, and the fish just start to, to float. Now river was turned to blood, an infestation of frogs, even to the point that it got into the Egyptians' food. I don't, I'm not a big frog lover. I mean, I, they're just kind of nasty little creatures. I, I, don't, I don't really like frogs a whole, whole lot. An infestation of lice on the Egyptians and their animals. Don't take me wrong here. Christina is a very clean person, but she is a, she, as we grew up in, or she grew up in Brazil, she was a very, uh, she liked to hug people and liked to be close to people. And she got lice a lot of times. And it's no fun. From other, you know, kids, and then she would give it to some of her sisters, and it's just not a fun thing. So an infestation of lice, not just on the people, but their animals. A swarm of flies. 
during a missions trip in India, some of the rural parts of India, I've never seen so many flies before, and this was certainly even worse than that. A deadly disease broke out among Israel's livestock. The Egyptians and their animals were tormented by boils on their skin. All of these things God is doing, he's God of action. A thunderstorm of all thunderstorms with thunder and hail, and it says even fire that darted down to the earth, maybe intense lightning. You know, I don't know exactly what that looked like, but God was showing, hey, I am, I'm doing something here, I'm active. Locusts in quantities so great that it says they wouldn't even be able to see the ground because there were so many locusts. Three days of intense darkness enveloped the land. If you know me very well, you know that I don't like being in the dark very long. I mean, maybe to sleep, but during the day I like to open blinds. And if there's lights, I like to turn the lights on. And I, I just, I enjoy light. Imagine three days of intense darkness and it said it would be so, so dark that you could, you could feel it. Then, of course, the last one, the death of the firstborn of all the Egyptians and even of the animals. This is the type of God that we serve. This is the type of God that is a God of action. He showed his faithfulness to them, and he'll show it to us as well. It was a time of great distress. He's a God of action, but he's also a God of redemption. Keep something in Nehemiah chapter 9, and I'll read in Exodus 5. We won't read the whole passage, but Pharaoh and his people called the Israelites their, their servants. In Deuteronomy 6.21, as kind of the history was being rehearsed, <clears throat> God instructed the Israelites to tell their sons and daughters that they had been Pharaoh's slaves, was the word that God used. Hey, tell your sons and daughters that you were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but then tell them that I brought you out with a mighty hand. I want you to re rehearse these things and go over these things. As we've been preparing for an estate sale that happened, you know, Thursday or Friday and Saturday of this week and sorting through all kinds of things. And Kim went through hundreds and hundreds of pictures and all the memories that came back and, and a lot of good things even that, that happened you know, throughout her lifetime, uh, not only as a kid, but even in, as a young adults and as our kids were younger and remembering all that God had done. God says, do that with your kids. Rehearse these things. Pharaoh and his people called them servants or slaves, but God called the, Israel the Isra Israelites my people. You're not servants. You're not, you're not Pharaoh's slaves. He thought they were. The, the Egyptians even considered them to be that. But the passage we read in Nehemiah chapter 9 says that they acted arrogantly. That, meaning that they, they acted presumptuously. They, they, they used a title that wasn't true. Because God said, no, this is my people. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7 <clears throat> says this. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. Certainly some redemptive terminology. To a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
And now, behold, the city of the people, the cry of the people, rather, of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Why? Remember, because they were acting arrogantly. They're acting presumptuously, claiming that these people are my servants or are my slaves, and they weren't. And then verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We see certainly that the Exodus shows God's faithfulness during a time of distress. Now, every single one of us this afternoon, as we leave you know, this gym, as we leave this campus, we will have the freedom to decide where we're going to go. We won't have anybody saying, hey, you've got to make 100 bricks this afternoon. You've got to, in fact, you've got to go get your own straw now, as the Israelites were told towards the end of their time in Egypt. We'll have freedom. But yet we, we face other types of distress. We face other difficulties. And if God was faithful to them, we can be sure that God will still be faithful in our times of distress. Friday, we had an opportunity to see uh, my niece, Ivy, who has recently been diagnosed with melanoma cancer behind her eye. Beautiful young girl, 17 years old, senior year in high school. We had seen her a few weeks prior, and she was talking about her plans and, you know, what she was going to do. And, and uh, I rode in her little convertible car, you know, with her, and it was, it was fun to kind of catch up with Ivy. And then to see her again Friday, she was in good spirits but they're going through a time of distress right now. I went up to Philadelphia and having surgery and having to come up to Atlanta to different hospitals, going to go back to Philadelphia in six months and having you know, radiation recently, and she can't be around a whole lot of people uh, because of her immune system being down. And, and I, I, I see that, and when I gave her mom, Rosie, which is Kim's sister, a hug, and, and just said, man, we, we, we're praying for you, and our church people are praying for you because they are going through a time of distress. But God is faithful. And we've been following them even recently on the Caring Bridge. And I'm I'm thankful to see some of the things that have been posted of going back to God's still good. God's helping. Even though it's tough, God's been good. God can help and will be faithful in a time of distress. But we see, secondly, the Exodus showed God's faithfulness during a time of uncertainty. During a time of uncertainty. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 12 says, By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. Now I'll be honest, sometimes I have found myself thinking, God, can you do that again? Can you just, you know, can I look up and you just kind of, you know, real fast just in a cloud say, hey, this is me, and this is where I want you to go, this is what I want you to do. Now thankfully we have the Holy Spirit in us, But humanly, sometimes I want to see something. And God was showing his faithfulness during a time of great uncertainty. You have to think with me. They had been, the people of Israel had been in in Egypt, rather, for 400 years. I haven't lived in one place very long through my life. Other than maybe growing up some, you know, I had some longer stints. Hopefully, Ackworth and Kennesaw is going to be a long stretch for us. That's certainly my prayer and my goal. 
But for 400 years, these people, they, weren't, they didn't remember the land of Canaan. They didn't remember all, all of that. So, yes, they were coming out of great oppression. But don't forget, there was a time when they were at the Red Sea and they, you know, began to complain and say, has God brought us out here to kill our children? Let's go back to Egypt. So, yes, it was tough in Egypt, but they knew it. They knew what it was like. They kind of knew what to expect. So there was some uncertainty here, and, but we certainly can learn from that experience that we can trust him and follow God when he opens doors of opportunity, even into the unknown. Even when we think maybe God's going to work this way, and then as he closes doors and he's kind of leading to other opportunities, we say, okay, this is uncertain. I, I don't know what the path's going to be, but we can trust God to be faithful. You know, as followers of Christ, we don't get to map out our path. Sometimes it's not always the easiest path. In fact, God's path isn't always the practical path or even the pleasurable path, but it is always the perfect path. In our mindset, we can even sometimes find ourselves, and I I do this, uh, you know, judge me if you want, but sometimes I kind of negotiate with God and say, well, God, I, I," and I may not say it out loud, but I'm thinking in my head, God, I think it'd make more sense if you did this. You know, if you would work it out this way, this would be a lot more practical, God. And sometimes I'm sure God's going, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not, it doesn't matter if it's practical or pleasurable. This is my perfect path. I've got other things for you to learn. We also can trust him and follow him when he closes doors on our expectations. Leave some here in Nehemiah chapter 9 and look with me into the New Testament in Acts 16. Verses 6 through 10. Acts 16 and verse 6 through 10. We can trust him and follow him when he closes doors on our expectations. Sometimes there are even good expectations. We have good intentions. We want to do what's right and we want to serve God. And sometimes even in that, God will will close doors. And in the moment, it, it can be frustrating. Because again, if you're anything like me, and I think most of us are, we're trying to chart out a path. And a lot of times we're trying to think ahead and go, you know, I think, I think this is the way it's going to be done or going to happen. Sometimes God will close those doors on our expectations. Notice what he did with Paul. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, notice this, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. <laughs> They want to speak the word of God. They want, to, they want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit forbid them to do that? Well, yeah, he closes the door. He closes the door. Follow on. And when they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Then notice again, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Another closed door. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, notice, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. And Paul's, you know, he's, he's a pretty bright guy, notice, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Yes. I mean, this was a vision. God made it very clear. Close the door to go into Asia. I close the door again for Bithynia. I close the door here. But now I want you to be in Macedonia. And Paul, thankfully, it says immediately. 
Now, there's been times in my life where I would, I would be still resistant. I'm like, God, I don't, I'm not sure that you have this right. I think I'm supposed to be in Asia. I think I'm supposed to be in that other place. But we can still trust him when he closes doors on our expectations. I've mentioned to you, this to you before. But if you're visiting, at least it'll be your first time to hear it. But uh, during a time in my life where I was very low, frustrated, because God seemed to be closing door after door after door on expectations, and I picked up Jessica's phone, and the screensaver on the front said, you know, when God isn't opening doors, praise him in the hallway. Okay, God. And at that moment, I was like, I got it. You weren't in a cloud, you're not in a pillar of fire, but I know that message was for me. And God, help me to trust you. Even though it seems like you're closing doors on expectations that I had, God, help me to trust you. And I know that I can because you're faithful. We see next in the passage in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 13 through 19, God's faithfulness on Mount Sinai. God's faithfulness on Mount Sinai. And it's interesting, I didn't necessarily plan for these two things to, to kind of interweave, but we'll see in growth groups some of what we're learning is going to go hand in hand, you know, what we're studying in Nehemiah and going through Israel's history. So we're going to talk about even Mount Sinai today in growth groups. So Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 13. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. All of us are in places, whether it's a school, whether it's a job, um, you are a resident of some city, you are a part of the state of Georgia, except for Morgan, but, you, but she's South Carolina, so we're all part of areas that have rules and laws. Do all of you agree with every rule and every uh, statute of every part you know, that school, job, state that you're in? Absolutely not. How encouraging it is to be able to read, God gives us right rules. He gives us true laws. He gives us good statutes and commandments. Then verse 14, And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their first for their thirst, and you told them to go in and to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Notice verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously. The same Hebrew word used for Pharaoh and the Egyptians is used here for the Hebrew people, for the Israelites, that they were acting presumptuously now against God. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey. We're not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. Remember those ten plagues that we went through? It's just like they had a quick, you know, memory loss, like some of us do. And wonderful things that God's done. And we forget those easily. They weren't mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but verse 17 in the middle, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Catch that. <laughs> Can you get it? Hey, we need a leader because we want to go back to be slaves, folks. Well, that was the point that they had come. But you are a God ready to forgive 
In the New Testament, there's several passages where it's where there's kind of a, a hinge and it uses but God or but you God. And here in the Old Testament, I love it again, a small word but powerful, but you are a God. What? Ready to forgive? Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. Let's unpack this a little bit. God showed us faithfulness through his provision for his people. First of all, in what we read there, verses 13 and 14, that he gave them provision of good guidelines for life and holiness. Good guidelines for life and holiness. Leave something in Nehemiah chapter 9 and Deuteronomy 6 verses 22 through 25 says this. The Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. Notice, for our good always that he might preserve us alive. Those are good things, right? I want to stay alive. I mean, you know, when it's God's time, yes, I'll be thrilled to go to heaven, but I don't, I don't think it's God's time quite yet, right? So it, he says to preserve us alive as we are this day, verse 25. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Josh, you can bring up the next slide. Many of you prayed for um, Wilson during the time that he was in the hospital, and uh, he, he was promoted to heaven. He did pass away. He's a 38-year-old. Uh, Cynthia, who's in the right picture here, we were able to see Cynthia, and then Felipe in the camouflage shirt, and Unalauda, which is next to me in kind of the, well, bright shirt. I'm not going to attempt to name that color, but so Unalauda's there. We got to spend some time with him. And we went to a place in the city of Brotas in Brazil, the state of Sao Paulo, and went to an area with a bunch of zip lines. How many of you have been zip lining before? Raise your hand, been zip lining. So I see a future church activity coming. All right. Now, think with me. So as we show up to, um, to this, this, it's kind of this little retreat place, and it was called Poção, which means potion. Like, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna go to the potion. But that's what it was called. So we got to show up to the potion area. And we told them we wanted to go, you know, on zip line and uh, classic kind of way that uh, many things are done. They were like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get you, we'll get you set up. We found out later they had to call the zip line people that were still in the city to then drive out, and it, about an hour or so later, they were ready to actually harness us up. But they show up, and then they start to put, you know, these harnesses on us. And imagine if I said, oh, no, 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 I don't want a harness. <laughs> I, want, I want the full experience. I don't want a harness. I mean, come on. And then they, they bring a helmet. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you can give a helmet to Michael maybe or to, to Felipe, you know, the little guys. But no, 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 I, 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 don't, I don't want a helmet. I mean, I want the full experience. Well, you know what? We got the full experience because we had a harness. We got a full experience because we had a helmet. We could go on the zip line and we could go over the Jacare River 
And we could go through, you know, the forest and on top of the forest because we were safe in the guidelines that those leaders had put us in. Now, I couldn't help but put Cinchy in because she was scared to death. This was kind of a half fearful, half like, I'm landing, you know. Uh, And and initially she's like, oh, no, 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 I'll just watch. Kim's like, oh, no, you're not. You are coming with us. And she ended up having a good time in the end. And and one of the first weekends, her kids said that she actually started to laugh. Praise God that God's helping her through this very tough time. But we see here just a simple and silly illustration of how important God's guidelines and statutes and rules and commandments are for us. But many times, you and I both, oh God, no, no, I don't don't need that. I'm okay, God. I can do it this way. I, I know your word says this, but, you know, I've got a little different, better plan, and I don't really quite need all of those guidelines. We see that God is showing his faithfulness and providing good guidelines for life and holiness. We see even God's provision of food and water for daily nutrition as faithful once again. Nehemiah 9.15, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. Next week we're going to see, this is, this is so cool, I can't wait till next Sunday because we're going to see how in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, if you want to look ahead, that's okay, you can cheat if you're getting into your Bible, praise the Lord, but you can look ahead. Jesus Christ is called the rock of Israel and Jesus Christ is connected with this experience all the way in the Old Testament. That's the connection between the Old and New because it's the same God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we see that you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst, which we'll see next week. Jesus is even called that rock. Nehemiah 9, the last part of verse 15, also provision of a land to call their own. You told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But what do we see in response? Number two, the Israelites showed their faithlessness through their rebellion against God. Verse 16, what I already read about them acting presumptuously, they had a disproportionate view of themselves. They had this idea that, you know, they, they knew that Pharaoh should not be their master. They didn't want the other Egyptians to be their master, but they considered themselves to be their own master. So they were acting presumptuously against God, just as the Egyptians and Pharaoh were acting presumptuously against God. They were claiming a right for themselves that they did not have. They were not their own masters, but yet they were acting in such a way because they had a disproportionate view of themselves. It says, even and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. I think I've told you a little bit about Rennie, Pierre, Cardin, our little Pomeranian dog. My, my grandparents bred Pomeranian, so I was, we were given this Pomeranian dog. That was not my dream dog as a, uh, as a boy. You know, I wanted a big dog. I wanted, you know, I wanted something uh, that could run alongside of me and you know, be like the movies. And I wanted a dog that could go and grab my paper you know, later. Um, I just envisioned this, this type of dog. So the golden retriever, that was what I settled on. That would be the dog one day. 
And so shortly after Kim and I were married, Jessica had just recently been born, and we saw this advertisement for free golden retriever puppies. It's like, this is my chance. Gone with the Pomeranian, and now it's a new, new man, new marriage, new life. Here, golden retriever puppy. But I quickly learned that golden retriever puppies don't quite act like the golden retrievers in the movies. They urinate all over you. They tear stuff up. They jump on you when you're trying to go out and, and about to travel to a church meeting, you know, to try to go to Brazil eventually, and they, they get your, you know, clothes all dirty. And then when I tried to run with Ginger, was what I called her, I tried to run with her, you know what happened? Ginger would see a squirrel and go, Pah! you know, go over here to a squirrel, and then, and then in a car, and Ginger would go over there, and I'm not a big guy, so Ginger had some pull on me. I mean, Ginger grew pretty fast. And then there were times where Ginger would just stop and decide, you know, I'm, I'm done running, Master David. I'm done. And so Ginger would just kind of stop. I'm like, okay, Ginger, let's go. And then it was just kind of the stiff neck, like, not going. And you've probably seen some of your neighbors, and maybe some of you do this with your dog. And you, you yank, and you pull, and sometimes you're kind of dragging the dog with you. And I think I only tried that about twice, and I gave up. I'm like, no, Ginger is, must not be the movie-type golden retriever. It just didn't work. You and I do that to God. God gives us right rules. He gives us good statutes. He gives us commandments for our good. And sometimes we're like, oh, God, I'm over here. Oh, God, I want to, do, I want to see this. And then sometimes I'm like, nope, I'm not going anywhere, God. I am going to stiffen my neck. And if any of you help in the nursery, you know that kids can even do that. If you, you know, they'll arch your back like that. And sometimes we may not do that physically as adults, but with our attitudes, we'll just arch our back and we'll stiffen our neck like, nope, God, not doing it. We see that they had a disproportionate view of themselves. Not only that, though, but they had a distorted view of God. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 17 says, They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck, appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are God, ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when, notice, they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. Go back with me to Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. This gives us a little bit of a glimpse of how, they, how distorted their view of God was. This would be the majority of Israel, certainly not all of them. We know that Moses didn't think this way. We know that Joshua and Caleb didn't think this way. But in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
they knew, notice, notice the tension here, they knew that God had led them to this point. I mean, it's kind of hard to deny a cloud during the day, a pillar of fire by night. It's kind of hard to deny that. No, you know, I don't think God's going, going this way. Well, yes, he is. <laughs> I can follow a cloud and I can see a pillar of fire. But they come to the point here and they, they say, why did God lead us here? Just to kill us? To kill our kids? Well, get it that after we elevate ourselves, after we have a disproportionate or wrong view of ourselves, it's very easy to elevate a lot of other things above God also. And that's what they did with the golden calf. We see that once they had elevated themselves above God, it was easy to elevate other things above God as well. In verse 18, they made the golden calf. Psalm 115 in verses 4 through 7, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but... Do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Josh, if you go uh, back a slide maybe, let's see, yeah, perfect. So June of 2019, I was able to uh, take Christina and Audrey to uh, India for a missions trip. And this is, I'm going to try to do my best pronunciation, Laxmi Narayan Temple, okay? In Delhi, Laxmi Narayan Temple. Now, Hinduism is polytheistic, so there, there are many different, you know, gods that they, they serve, uh, false gods, but this particular temple is mainly dedicated to Vishnu and the goddess Lakshmi. But there's also a couple side temples. I don't, you know, I don't understand quite how all that works in their religion, but you know, Vishnu and, and Lakshmi are the main ones, but then the, the side temples are Shiva, Krishna, and Buddha. You go, what, Buddha? Yeah, Buddhism came out of Hinduism. And Buddha, um, again, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but Siddhartha Gautama lived during the 5th century B.C. He's an actual person who became, you know, the Buddha. So there was even a side temple, you know, for, for Buddha in this, you know, complex. But we noticed as we walked up that there were these people outside selling uh, baskets of, you know, fruit and flower petals. And Matt Harden tell, told us and explained to us, well, you know, as people come to the temple, they buy these offerings of flower petals and, and different fruits and things that their particular God likes. And so after we saw some people buying those things, we proceeded to walk inside the temple. We didn't buy you know, anything, but we walked inside the temple and saw people offering the flower petals and the, and the, the fruit and, and food to the false God of their choice. And it was a, a stark reminder of how lost, how distorted, and how sad, but also how needed the gospel light is in India. Now, there are certainly Hindu temples and other things like that in metro Atlanta. But I would venture to say the majority of us will probably not see people on Peachtree Street or Kennesaw Due West or Ackworth Due West or 41 or Cobb Parkway, you know, whatever, buying flower petals and, and food to go into a temple to offer to a false god. 
No, we have a little bit more sophisticated idols. You know, our, our idols are a little more modern. So certainly, we're going to see people who will sacrifice sometimes even their health, will sacrifice sometimes even their family, will sacrifice even their name, worshiping and elevating the false gods of materialism, false god of pleasure, the false god of power. And they do these things because, well, they have a disproportionate view of themselves and then they have a distorted view of God. Now, unfortunately, even we as believers, certainly we can't substitute God in our life, but sometimes we can certainly get our priorities out of whack. And no, we would never buy an offering and go and offer to a false god, but sometimes we're like, we're like that ginger and we're, we're darting and, and stiff-necking and saying, no, no God, I'm not, I'm not ready. So we can learn how dangerous and how wicked our heart can be, but... I want to close with a look again at God. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 17. Yet at the same time they were doubting God's goodness and his power, he was showing them great mercy. Nehemiah 9, 17b says, But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. And then verse 19, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. So even though they were doubting God's goodness and his power, he was showing them great mercy.